from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. And welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your overview of everything important on the planet Earth. I am Eric S. Piotrowski, a.k.a. Duke Scath in the world of video games and Twitter, a.k.a. Scartol in the world of Wikipedia and Reddit. Today is Friday, the 7th of October, 2016. On this show, I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economics, education, hip-hop music, and killer robots. So buckle up and let's get started. A little bit better than dope is. A brand new kid to show biz. With knowledge, I persevere. But find out, do me a favor. Let me in here. And we can find a rhyme to fill in space and drop the bass with a tape. What's happening, people? Uh, it's it's a Friday. It's the middle of the afternoon. It's 1.20 p.m. It's a beautiful fall afternoon here. And I'm not in school because we had an optional professional development day today. And I'm about as professionally developed as you could possibly get. Just kidding. I have a lot of things I could do to get more professionally developed, but the only reason anybody does it is because they want to raise. In our school district, if you want to get a raise, you have to do 60 hours. That's six zero hours of professional development a year. And I'm lucky enough that I don't really need the raise. And so, um, yeah, I'm not doing that. So, whatever. Um, I, I, I should probably do some because I like money. But we're doing okay, so... It's the type of thing where my time is so much more important to me than money these days. So, yeah, um, I know I'm lucky and I'm privileged, but it is what it is. So the point is, I got kind of a day off here today. And I did some schoolwork earlier, and I'm going to do some more later probably. And in the meantime, I'll be playing some Rocket League. Shout out to Antonio. What, what? And, uh, yeah, and Devin, uh, he watched me play. And then I went to eat lunch at the Great Dane. They have this delicious clam chowder that they only serve on Fridays. I know I'm supposed to be a vegetarian, but I just can't help myself, especially with chowder. So, chowder, say it right. I wonder if I can find that clip on YouTube. Yep, here it is. Oh, YouTube, I love you. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Hey, what the hell is this? It's a bowl of chowder, sir. Wait a minute, come here. What did you call it? Say it loud enough so everyone can hear. Come on, say it. <clears throat> Shaudel. Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! It's Chowder. Say it right. Shaudel. <laughs> Come back here. I'm not through demeaning you. Well, therefore, you certainly would never lose your temper over... This is the later in the episode. ...something as trivial as the pronunciation of Chowder. That's Chowder! Chowder! I'll kill you! I'll kill all of you! <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, so I went to get some of that, and it was awesome. And the service was really fast and friendly. I was like, damn! So that was very nice. And I've just been taking it easy because it's been a rough couple of weeks. Uh, i got to warn y'all, this isn't going to be a usual syncast type thing because I don't really have a lot of news stories. Usually what happens is in between episodes, when I'm reading the news, like I'll see a story that stands out and I'll like put it in my show notes. 
But I don't know. It's been a rough week. Uh, not rough week. It's been a rough month. Not rough in the sense of difficult, but in the sense of just time consuming. Because it's the first first month of the school year. And that's always incredibly hectic. i got 125 students to learn their names. I've got to try to make contact with every parent. I send a letter home on the first day of school. i got all these papers coming in. On the first day of every one of my classes, I assign a two-page writing assignment. So I end up with 100, uh, uh, 250 pages of student writing to grade within the first two weeks and I barely made it so that it's just it's a really crazy month September always Um, but whatever I mean I'm actually doing okay now so the point is that it's been a really nice day to just have a day to do nothing and I'm lucky because I get weekends and I know there are people who work two jobs and they don't get as much free time as me but I also have a lot on my plate all the time so uh, it is what it is. The other thing that's been tough this past, you know, week, week and a half, is that every once in a while I just get this, I don't know, cloud of gloom over me, and it gets really rough to, you know, it's not real. I don't know if I can call it depression because I know people who have suffered from like depression, hardcore depression, and they get frustrated when people who occasionally get a little sad will say, "Well, I've got depression." Uh, so I never want to mislabel what I go through, but. It is certainly fair to say that there's, you know, three or four days every two months or so where I go through a period of pretty intense despondency where it just feels like everything's kind of crappy and and it's never there's never like a material reason for it, right? Like my life is pretty regimented. I've worked hard to make it regimented, right? So, you know, the school week, the school day, the school year, these things I can count on. And, you know, stress levels come and go, sunlight levels come and go. And, you know, it's been gloomier here in Wisconsin than it usually is, I guess. But I don't really know that that's a big part of it because it was gloomy yesterday, but I felt great. So, and, you know, it, it it may correspond to when grades are due and all that stuff or, or when, you know, students are participating. Because the one thing that bugs me the most in school is when students don't participate. When I have a classroom full of dead eyes and, like, silent kids, I don't know what to do. I can handle anything else. I've had kids, you know, cursing at me. I've had kids trying to ridicule me. I've had kids you know, intentionally asking the most obscure questions. I actually enjoy when kids ask weird questions or try to get a rise out of me because I'm like, oh, it's on. Let's do this. Like, it's a challenge for me. It's, it's, but it's an intellectual challenge that I enjoy. When the kids are silent, I'm just like, I end up like jumping around and shouting and screaming. And like, I start making fun of the kids. And I never want to do that because I know it's not fair, but I don't know what else to do because I always come through at the start of the semester with like, you know, I love teaching, and I love ideas, and I love conversation, and here's some stuff, and I put, you know, every day the journal topic is, you know, like, what are you passionate about? What's your favorite game? What are your favorite movies? What are your favorite foods? What's your this? You know, tell me about that. What's your earliest memory? You know, what what do you want to achieve in life? And all that stuff. Like, I'm trying to really get information out of these people, and so often it's like, <clears throat> my favorite movie is, name of whatever horror movie came out last week, and you know, like, favorite food, chicken. It's like, ah, come on, give me something to work with here, people. So whatever, that's that's frustrating. But but it's not like that's, you know, I don't feel like that is what sets me off. I don't feel like anything really sets me off. I feel like it just happens out of nowhere. And I just end up feeling just really rough. And, you know, Diane has to deal with me being a grump. 
And I don't, you know, it's that thing from As Good As It Gets, which is a great movie. If you've never seen that, you should see it. There's a part where um, Greg Kinnear plays this artist who gets robbed and then he doesn't feel like painting. And he's like, I'm sick of hearing my own complaints, you know, I'm like, uh, it's, it's, I feel that way sometimes. So whatever. I mean, it, it passes just as quickly as it shows up. So it's not anything to really worry about. And don't please look, I never have any thoughts about hurting myself or anybody else or any of that stuff. So it's not, you know, that's whatever. So it's just a thing that happens. So anyway, I'm out of that now. I'm back to manic. Woo. And yeah, I thought, you know what? I got some spare time. I'll record a sin cast. But the thing is, I don't have news stories that I've been tracking. I actually have one, I think, about um, education, something. I have it in the show notes here. Um, I got that. I'm going to play that. Oh, yeah, it's about killer robots. So, But whatever. I don't have a whole lot of stuff set up here ready to go. Um, I don't have an action of the week because, you know what, I also don't know if anybody's even doing those, so I don't know if it makes sense for me to go chasing those. But on the good news, we have a pretty good group of kids for Amnesty International this year at school, which is very nice to see because in past years, sometimes the group gets really small, like one or two people, and sometimes nobody shows up for Amnesty International. And I understand that, you know, it's not the most exciting club in the world because other clubs, you know what, you have a pizza party or movie night or whatever, but in our club it's like, Here's another person in prison. Please write a letter to help release them. But on the other hand, you know, we did get pizza when we saw Mark Pocan last year. And and we do, you know, watch little clips of things. So I think it's a fun group. And it's also, it's just the thing of like, I'm trying to train the next generation of activists, you know. And I'm sorry. Look, activists, (laughs) let me tell you. It's not fun and excitement all the time. In fact, a lot of activism is kind of dull work where you have to organize and make phone calls and, you know, put on events that very few people come to and try to raise money and all that stuff. And it can be frustrating. And it, But it's something you have to do it, right? We don't have a choice. When there are people, West Papuan activists, as there are, who are in prison for speaking out, that's messed up. That's a violation of their human rights. And we have to stand up for them and say, no, this is not okay. So I want my amnesty students to understand that, you know, it's it's a lifelong challenge and it's something you have to do because it's in you and because you hear the call of justice and freedom and you're willing to step up and do something about it. And it's not, you know, look, there are people who will devote their whole lives to it, but here's something very important that I, I once heard, and I, don't, I think it was a Chomsky book, but I can't remember exactly where. The point was, I think he was talking to David Barsamian. And there was something about, you know, people have this idea that if you're going to be involved in movements for a better world, you that has to be your life. You have to take a vow of poverty and you have to devote yourself entirely to that. And, and I'm pretty sure it was Chomsky, don't quote me on this, but I think he was saying, like, it doesn't have to be that way. You could devote one hour a month to writing a letter for Amnesty International. And then that, you know, that's that's a level of involvement that suits you great. That it's 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 this idea that you know you either it's all or nothing right and and look I understand why people feel that way because a lot of us who are in the struggle it is a, a, most of our lives right I'd say seventy percent of my life is teaching uh, if, in order to raise the consciousness level of the next generation and help people understand you know why capitalism is messed up. Um, that's not really what I teach. What I teach is creative writing and hip hop. But, you know, along the way, I'll sort of talk about capitalism. But, you know, and I do Amnesty International, I do East Timor work, and I, you know, I do a lot of that other stuff. But, but, 
but I also play video games and like I watch movies and like I'm a normal guy. And I think it's so important for us to let students know and other you know people in general that the struggle is something we can all be involved with at whatever level suits us, right? The only level that's unacceptable is zero. So that's something I want to stress to the students and I stress it to you, the listener. Um, speaking of other projects, uh, I had my book release party for Mindwipe. I would like to give a big shout out to everyone who's been helping me spread the word on Facebook. Brad and Chris and John and Phil and Dallas and Dwayne and Dylan. Thank you to all of you for helping me out and getting the word out. Um, you know, people have said that they read it. I had a woman at school who said that she, I, she said, it's like you peered into my mind with that book. And I was like, oh, sweet. So hopefully it's been helpful to people. If you don't know, this book I wrote is called Mind Wipe, Dealing with Stress, Anger, and Ego. And it's $5 through the mail. You can buy it from Amazon. You can buy it even better from your local bookstore. If you go to IndieBound.org and do a search for MindWipe, you can also find information on my website, which is just-text.org. And um, yeah, you, there's links to all sorts of stuff. I've got resources there for um, a bell of mindfulness you can set up and let it run. And you know what? Actually, ideally, you have a person near you who will ring a bell every once in a while, right? And... Uh, here, I'll set it for two minutes and four minutes. Okay, so set. The idea is that when you hear this bell of mindfulness, you stop, you take three deep breaths, and you just be in that moment for a little bit. I'm, I'm gonna, I've set it up to, so two minutes from now, it'll just ring randomly, and, and we'll get to hear the thing in action. It'll ring a short thing, dunk, and then a longer thing, dong. So you'll you'll hear that in a second, or in a couple of minutes, I should say. So anyway, this book I wrote, it's really short. It's 88 pages, and it's just some thoughts about practices that have helped me deal with stress, anger, and ego. And it's funny that I'm writing this book about dealing with stress, anger, and ego when I'm, you know, I'm also dealing with, you know, intermittent despondency and or depression, whatever you want to call it. And the point, of course, is that, you know, I'm not some in light, I'm not Thich Nhat Hanh, right? Like Thich Nhat Hanh probably never has days where he's like, oh, I don't even know, man, why bother? But as I said in here, you know, he's got this community of people telling him how brilliant he is and waiting to write down every word he says. But whatever, that may or may not translate into mental clarity. So whatever, the point is, I'm not that guy, right? I'm not Thich Nhat Hanh. And... But but the but the but I have found techniques that are useful to me. So, you know, people can benefit from that the way I've benefited from it. Awesome. More power to you. Um, yeah. So as I wrote, the Vietnamese monk Thich Nhat Hanh is the poster child for tranquility and mindfulness. When Oprah Winfrey met him for the first time in 2010, she said, "Just being in your presence, I feel less stressed than when the day started." I'm not that guy. People who know me know that I am energetic, passionate, and bombastic. I speak with gusto and volume, and I love to argue. And, uh, yeah, I don't apologize for that. And and it doesn't mean that I don't have anything to offer in terms of dealing with stress, anger, and ego. So, whatever. It's been great to have positive responses about this book. I've been giving it to students. That's the whole reason I wrote it is so I can just sort of have something to hand to students. And, yeah, it's just, you know, I had a book release party. It was, you know, there were a few people there. It wasn't a huge turnout, but whatever. Like, it was a good group of people. We had a really nice discussion, and I'm grateful. There's the small bell.
three. It's a really good technique to just, you know, especially for someone like me, when I get so worked up, I'm like, it's just to have a, a moment where it's just like, stop. But the thing is that for me, as a teacher, it's hard for me to feel like I can just stop because that's not how I'm supposed to, I, you know, these days, everything about teaching is efficiency. You're supposed, you know, you have the, I don't know how many minutes we have together with the students, but the school district does our school, most school districts in the United States keep track of how many days and how many minutes you are spending with the students. And the idea is you are maximizing the level of achievement that you are getting out of those kids in that time. And so, and beyond that, you know, beyond the, the bureaucratic control system, there's my general sense of, look, this young mind has been trusted to me for 52 minutes every day. I'd better use that time well. I had better fill that kid with as much information and push them as much as possible in that 52 minutes. And the, the students who are most ready to learn they get so much out of my classes because I work hard to make it worth their while, right? And the kids who aren't ready to learn, a lot of them, I can sort of, you know, pry that, you know, rusted door open a little bit. And I'm pretty proud of that. But but it means that I have this mindset, not only when I'm teaching, but like anytime I'm communicating with people, it's like, I've got to make the most of this time. I've got to be efficient. I've got to talk a lot and I've got to talk quickly. And I know that it doesn't always have the most... Uh, salubrious effect on the listener. So I'm trying to work on that and I'm trying to slow down in class in general because I know that when I'm going a mile a minute, it can be hard for students to keep up and it can be less enjoyable when I'm just... Although that sound effect was pretty cool. Maybe I should use that on the podcast for the veteran gamers. Speaking of which, big shout out to Stu and Chinny. I always love talking to them. Um, I, they Last week when we did the video game podcast, I was in, sort of in the midst of that sort of despondency phase. And and they could tell. And, and you know, whatever. I, I'm not trying to bring my personal business into the show. But the point is that, you know, as with spending time with the Duchess, uh, talking to Stu and Chinny um, can help me cope a little bit. So I, I appreciate that. And everybody involved in the VG Hub and, you know, uh, whenever, whenever I hear those EGX shows, I always think, man, it would be so cool to be there with them. And one of these days I will be. One of these days, man. Cue the Cop Shoot Cop song. One of these days, Mr. Opportunity gonna be knocking on my door. One of these days I'll read the writing on the wall. One of these days I'll be a spectator in an audience horse. One of these days I'm gonna run until I fall. One of these days I'll win the lottery and wake up a millionaire. One of these days I'm gonna get myself a job. That's a great song. It's by a group called Cop Shoot Cop called Any Day Now off of I don't know if it's their best album. It's called Release. It's one of their best albums. The other one is called Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. And that had the $10 bill song, which is awesome. $10 bill in your pocket. $10 bill. Anyway, um, yeah. So that's what's going on. Book came out 
awesome uh, feedback. Thank you, everybody. If you're interested in checking it out, MindWipe is the name of it, M-I-N-D-W-I-P-E. And uh, you can get it for a dollar on Kindle if you're just interested in reading it. The formatting's not great on the Kindle. I apologize for that. I didn't really take it seriously. Um, but whatever. It, it is what it is. So, yeah, it's out. Um, okay, so like I said, I don't have a lot of news articles that I'm ready to shove in your face, but there is something I want to share with you because I put it out on Facebook, but I want to put it out on the podcast too, and I'm going to play the whole thing because Bill Maher is a stand-up comedian who has been doing a show on, he did it on HBO, I think. Oh, I know he did, his show right now is on HBO. I think he did another show on HBO. I know he had a show on, I think it was ABC or NBC called Politically Incorrect, Once Upon a Time. And it's always been an interesting show because he has a panel of people and it's always a mixed bag with the panel. I mean, he's had Noam Chomsky on, he's had Cornell West on, he has Michael Moore on all the time, but he also has, like, Ann Coulter and he has, um, you know, just, he had Trump's campaign manager on recently. And so he has this gaggle of, I mean, he gets everybody. He has all sorts of people on his show. He had Killer Mike on several times, which was awesome. And they just have an interesting discussion. And when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's kind of weak. And, you know, like Bill Maher will make fun of Chris Christie for his weight a lot, which is stupid. And he'll, you know, he'll do Monica Lewinsky jokes in 2016, which is just pathetic. He's a hack. I mean, in some ways, Bill Maher really is a hack. And he's also like a diehard atheist. So anybody who believes anything religious, he's just like you know, attacking them, and he really hates Islam, like, he just goes after Muslims all the time, which is just silly, uh, he keeps talking about, like, you know, oh, moderate Muslims should be, you know, going after the fundamentalists, and liberals should be standing up for free speech in the Islamic world, which they're not, and the question I always have is, like, well, yes, I do support free speech in the Muslim world, but the question is, you know, like, what what is it you mean by like we have to support moderate muslims like because the sense i get is that he wants to basically go to war with fundamentalist islam which is not I, that's that's feeding their narrative right how do you deal with people who are like we're going to blow ourselves up to preserve the dignity of our religion like that's messed up right but that's extremist islam so what i'm not going to get into that the point is when Bill Maher is good, he's really good. And recently, he was really, really good. He does this thing at the end of his show called New Rules where he's just making little jokes. You know, New Rule, the person who put out this new product has to tell people that, you know, oh, we don't want that stupid piece of crap. But I'm giving it away. So this week, or not this week, but recently, he did a, an episode where the new rule was about growth at any cost. And I'm going to play the whole thing because it's so good. And this is what I'm always talking about on the Veteran Gamers, and I'm always talking about it on this show. So Bill Maher does a very good job of explaining how I feel about this stuff. So I'm just going to, Bill, take it away. And finally, new rule. Next time Apple wants to do something truly innovative and really think different, they should try not releasing a new phone. Yeah, amen, dude. That, they are correct to clap. Because somebody has to teach Americans that we don't always have to have something new or better every year. Or in the case of our upside-down economic system, every quarter. Thank you. The only people who really need you to get a new phone every year are the shareholders. Yep. But just because they need to sell it so they can jerk off the stock price doesn't mean you have to stand in that nerd line and buy it. You're not early adapting. In fact, quite the opposite. You're taking too long to catch on. <laughs> now, say it loud. Preach. Before we go any further, I know 
what the people on the nerd line are thinking. Oh, Bill, how can you say the iPhone 7 is the same as the 6? The old phone had an A9 processor and a camera with an aperture of 2.2, and the new one has an A10 and a 1.8. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And That's a dumb hashtag. The old phone weighed 143 grams, the new one 138. I guess you could keep lugging around a 143-gram phone in your pocket if you want your ass to stick out like black china. I don't even know what that means. You like the way I channel the nerd in my head? Okay. All right. So you. I get it. I get it. The new phone, a thing of wonder. They made the camera work better in low light, which, let's face it, is only going to encourage Anthony Weiner. See, there he is. There's the hack. That's the hack part. But, oh, Anthony Weiner jokes. But the question I'm asking is, do your friends really need clearer pictures of your lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. And the same is true. Sorry, the same is true about Blu-ray. It's the same stupid movies in super high def 4K. I'm a nerd. Doesn't matter. You've already got in your hand a device that has all your email, all your music, the internet, GPS, takes pictures, gets you laid, (laughs) gets you a car and driver when you're drunk, films cops when they shoot you. (laughs) And oh yeah, it's a phone. It does everything but scratch your nuts for you, and I'm sure there's an app for that. (laughs) It has Pokemon Go and Grinder, an app which enables guys to Pokemon and go. Get it? Because it sounds like Pokemon. Oh, it's so clever. That joke isn't 10 years old. So why do I keep seeing headlines like, why Apple needs a new hit? The bad news on Apple's stock is only beginning. Is a new iPhone enough to snap Apple's sales slump? Sales slump. Since 2007, that phone has made over $621 billion. To put that into perspective, take the amount of money Donald Trump has given to charity and add $621 billion. That's a pretty good joke, you gotta admit. That's pretty good. Good thing you have me doing the commentary here, huh? Americans keep asking, why doesn't our economy work for people like me? Because it's not designed to. Because somewhere along the way, we bought into this insane idea that everything always has to get bigger, especially sales. Having a really good year and then just repeating it, not good enough. In corporate America, the stock market is the tail that wags the dog. Growth, growth, holy growth is the only thing that ever matters. Better than last quarter. Beat expectations. Eat more hamburgers. For Apple, revolutionizing the world wasn't enough. That was last quarter. (laughs) And it's not just them. It's every company. Do you ever wonder, for example, why shaving needs to keep reinventing itself? (laughs) Men used to shave with a sharp rock, and Keanu Reeves still does. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty stupid. Then there was the straight razor, then the single blade, then the double blade razor, three blades, and now the quattro. (laughs) Let me tell you something. If you've got something on your face that doesn't come off after three blades, (laughs) 
<laughs> that's not a whisker. That's a tumor. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> I don't know who that person is, but she has an annoying or, or look at that Wells Fargo scandal. It's that uh. very pressure for growth, constant, endless growth, even when you're filthy rich, that led them into a crime where they cheated and deceived their customers. Now, fortunately, Elizabeth Warren's Consumer Financial Protection Bureau found out and put a stop to it, or as I see it, Cowboy Zero, Indians won. Well, apparently the whole thing isn't available. I think it goes on for another minute or two, but whatever. I guess we have to stop it there because that's all that's available on YouTube. Um, but it's such an important point. I'm so glad that he made that point. And it, as I've said on this show, and I'm sorry for repeating myself, those of you who listen often, you know, the stock market does not just fixate on doing better each quarter. You have to beat expectations. And you, you, the best CEOs are the ones who are going to exceed the overwhelming ex, uh, to, they're going to do better in beating expectations this quarter than they did last quarter. So it's not just exceeding expectations, it's increasing the rate of growth at which you exceed the expectations. That's nuts. That's not a sustainable economy. And yeah, so whatever. That's frustrating. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that we're about one month away from a very important election in the United States and it's been going on for seven years but it's not done yet. And we're in the home stretch now, and Donald Trump's numbers are actually pretty good. So it's anybody's guess as to who's going to win this thing. I have students who take Donald Trump seriously as a candidate. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm just stunned. This guy is a hack. He is a despicable human being who spent five years of his life trying to convince America that o- President Obama was not born in the United States. Um, he said horribly racist things about Mexicans and Muslims. Uh, he said horrible things about lots of different women. Um, he's he, a third, a woman accused him of raping her when she was 13 years old in court. She has an eyewitness, um, you know, and you know, the other thing that people need to understand about Donald Trump, not that I think anybody listening to this is likely to take this, you know, reconsider their position on Trump, but whatever, I'm going to say it anyway. People are outraged. You know, the most of his supporters are Rust Belt, places where the industry's gone, the economy isn't working for them, and they're angry white people. Okay, look, you have every right to be angry at the economic structure and the institutional politician structure that has stagnated things for the last 30 years, right? Both parties, Democrat and Republican, have contributed to a neoliberal economic strategy which says NAFTA, GATT, WTO, all these trade agreements, and the TPP is part of that series that has benefited the top 1% and left working people in the dust. That's true. But if you think that this fake billionaire, this guy who inherited millions of dollars from his daddy and who had I'm not making this up he had a chauffeur drive him around when it was raining and he had to do his paper round if you think that man is going to make decisions as president that are going to benefit you as a working person you're out of your mind when has he ever done anything to help working people never that's when so you know the, the people who support him there, there's a basket of deplorables, as Hillary Clinton said, and she was talking about half the people who support him, and she was right. Half the people who support Donald Trump are racist scumbags who come out of his rallies pumping their fists going, yeah, kill Muslims. It, there, the New York Times did, did like a month where they followed him around and they videotaped people at his rallies. It's scary. 
Like, this is brown shirt goose-stepping going on here. So that's half of his supporters. And the other half are disaffected working-class white people who believe that they can do better by tying their wagon to a nutcase, you know, caravan that's all about bashing Mexicans and Muslims than they will by working together with other working people of different backgrounds. That's the sad part. All these white people are being scammed and hoodwinked and bamboozled, thank you, Malcolm, uh, by this slick-talking scumbag billionaire who's not really a billionaire and hasn't paid taxes in 20 years. And a lot of people are like, well, that shows that he's smart. No, it shows that he's taking and taking and taking. And he doesn't care at all about helping people like you and me by paying for roads, paying for schools, paying for fire departments, because that's what taxes are. Do some taxes go to wasteful bureaucracy? Yes. Do a lot of taxes go to defense contractors who don't do anything about making us safer? Yes. But that, we're not going to talk about that. Can't cut the Defense Department. Oh, my God. So that's the part that really cheeses me off is that, you know, look, if you believe in white supremacy, I'm not going to be able to convince you you're wrong, you know, because you have you're starting off from an idiotic standpoint. But if you believe that working people need help, there is no universe in which it's logical, therefore, to support a billionaire who brags about how he doesn't pay taxes. That just does not compute. So it's this world, it's this, you know, I'm not mad at Donald Trump. I am mad at Donald Trump. But I'm really mad at people who refuse to accept the rules of logic. You know, you can have your own opinion, but you can't have your own facts. And anybody who's supporting Donald Trump is refusing to look at facts about him hiring illegal immigrants, him uh, scamming people and suing people and not giving people the wages that he owes them, not paying his taxes, and then running a lot of businesses into the ground, scamming people at Trump University. I mean, pick a thing he's done. There's a scandal for working people behind it. And now he's the savior of the disaffected white working class? No, it doesn't make any sense. Not to mention the fact that he made fun of John McCain for being captured as a POW. I mean, that should have, every veteran in the world, as soon as Donald Trump said that, every veteran in the world should have been like, you know what? this guy cannot be allowed to be president. That's just too insulting for words. If Hillary Clinton had done that, she wouldn't even be able to become on a school board next week. Um, so there's that. And then there's the whole thing about like he supposedly gave a lot of money to veterans charities, which he didn't. And that that's a whole other can of worms. There's all these examples of whatever. I'm not trying to harangue you about Donald Trump. Um, but the point is, I don't really have a whole lot else to talk about because I don't have news stories. Like I said, I was even thinking about it. I don't really even have a hip-hop track I can play because I don't know what's going on in hip-hop. I keep playing Public Enemy and Run DMC over and over again. I realized recently that I am to hip-hop what, like, you know, uh, a lot of you know people who lived through the 60s and 70s are to classic rock. It's like, yeah, classic rock. I'm like, golden age of hip-hop, man. But let's be fair. I'm not just listening to hip-hop that came out in the 80s and 90s. I listen to Lupe Fiasco's 2015 album. I listen to Run the Jewels. I listen to, you know, um, Ana Tijoux and, and, and Dem Atlas. Like, I'm Brother Ali. I'm listening to a lot of people who are making music today. It's just that they're not making the kind of hip-hop that's on the radio and on TV. So, you know, and nobody watches... TV for music anymore, but you know what I mean. Like I'm not, I'm not plugged into the hip new stuff that the kids love. But maybe I will be after I have the kids submit tracks for the hip hop class. We've had a really good class this year. 
Um, they've got some really interesting lyrics, and they're they're on the ball with some of this analysis we're doing. We did Lupe Fiasco's mural, which I've I've played you clips of that in the past on this show. And uh, yeah, we had a really good discussion. We were talking about Mandelbrot sets and abolitionists and uh, all sorts of stuff. It was a really good conversation. I wish we could do that every day. Like just put on a track and then, okay, let's just talk about all the stuff in here. But we can't. We've got other stuff we got to do. So anyway, um, I guess that's going to be the show for this week, uh, this time, this episode, this thing. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I just wanted to let you know what's going on. And I feel like the clock is ticking also because I'm paying for Podbean now. And therefore, I feel like I have to put out shows to make the best use of Podbean. Otherwise, it's just sitting there and I'm paying for nothing. But on the other hand, um, mm -mm, it's convenience, right? I'm paying for the convenience. But I will try to keep track of stories. Hopefully, now that the first month of the school year is done, I can uh, I can pay a little more attention to the news and save articles. And hopefully, before too much longer, I will have another show with actual segments having to do with economics and education and killer robots and hip-hop. And I will have a quote of the week next time. And yeah, but for now, that's it. I don't know what to tell you, people. That's the end of the show. Listen, I don't have time to play with the phone here. I got a lot of stuff I got to get done. But thank you very much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate people tuning in. Uh, show notes and, well, I don't even know what I'm going to have in the show notes. I'll probably just put the Bill Maher thing up. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, check out my blog, Didactic Synapse, which is at fbesp.org slash synapse, S-Y-N-A-P-S-E. And uh, my website is The Floating Brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is at fbesp.org, with links to music I've made and fiction, uh, the book of short stories that I have out, and the Mind Wipe book about dealing with stress, anger, and ego, and multimedia videos I've made, and lots of other stuff. Shoutouts this week to the Duchess, because she's awesome. And yeah, I'm sorry if there's messes and edits and things that didn't work out, but I don't know what to tell you. I got a lot of stuff going on in my life, and that sort of... There's the small bell. Thank you very much for listening. Please get in touch with feedback or questions, esp at fbesp.org, or you can tweet me at Duke Scath. I'm going to stop talking now. Didactic Syncast is a production of the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is solely responsible for its content. This program is a joint venture of Ribonucleic Records and Garrison Multimedia. Our show is made possible by a grant from the Fargus Foundation. Some restrictions may apply. See SOAR for details. Fight the power. So powerful. Ooh, a new iPhone. Like anybody f***ing gives a shit.